Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Again, good morning. Good to see everyone here, and uh, those watching from home, we welcome you as well. Um, To Christians and non-Christians alike, I would argue the most famous verse in the the entire Bible is John 3.16. Would you agree? John 3, chapter 3, verse 16. And, And though many of you, I'm sure, know it, Many of you could probably recite it from heart, right? You've done it since your Sunday school days. You've memorized it. Um, There is a vast difference, isn't there, between knowing something uh, and uh, believing it. Knowing and believing. If If I asked you to make a list of all the things you know about God, all the things you know from His Word, I'm sure many of you could fill page after page after page, but that is what you know. Is it what you believe? What you really believe? Uh, You see, last week we, we, we met Nicodemus, right? And Nicodemus was a man who was full of knowledge, wasn't he? What did Jesus call Nicodemus? A teacher of Israel, a teacher of Israel. That's who Nicodemus was, and yet, that was last week, but, and yet, in, in our passage, you just heard it read, what does Jesus say again and again and again, seven times in ten verses, seven times, the word Jesus uses is believe, the word for believe, believe. Jesus' purpose, his message to Nicodemus and to you and I this morning is unmistakable, Believe. Believe. And so, my my church family and friends, my prayer this morning is that you would not leave this sanctuary, or those watching from home, you would not uh, end this live stream with greater knowledge. Sometimes that's why we come to church. We want to learn something new. (laughs) That's not our aim. That's not our end this morning, but rather that you would believe what you know. Believe in Jesus. And to help us do just that, to help you to believe, Jesus gives us, in the verses that follow, four reasons why you and I should believe in Him. Okay? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Four reasons why you and I should believe in Jesus. And, and um, so before we do that, I need to set the scene. Okay? I'm going to leave that as a suspense. You're going to think, what are the four reasons? He didn't even say it. It's going to come. Okay? We're going to set the scene first. You remember we're in, a, we're in the midst of a conversation, right, between Jesus and this man named Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. And um, he comes to Jesus by night, and Jesus tells him, Nicodemus, to see the kingdom of God, you must be what? Born again. You must be born again. And, and Nicodemus is like, well, how is that even physically possible to be born again? That doesn't make sense. And then Jesus says, no, it's a spiritual birth that he was talking about. It's a spiritual, it's like the wind. You, can, you, you can't see it. 
It blows where it wishes, but you hear its sound, right? You see the effects. And so it is with those who are born of the Spirit. So this is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. And I have to pause here because, you know, over the years, I was just thinking about this, over the years, I've actually seen some of you before and after you were born again. You know, this term born again kind of has a, a weird reputation, right? Like some people use it in a derogatory word in, in, uh, way in, in, in the world. What is this born again group? But, but, but for, those who, for the benefit of those who maybe, maybe don't know, um, what does it mean to be truly born again? What does that look like? Well, when someone is really born again, when their heart has been regenerated, um, they don't go around trying to convince people I'm a Christian. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go and say, oh, look, I said a prayer that day. Or, or guess what? I was baptized. I'm a Christian. Your life changes. If you're born again, your life has changed. Your thoughts have changed. Your desires, your speech, your conduct, your habits, your relationships, the way you spend your time and your money and your energy. Um, if you have been born of the Spirit of God, the change is so profound that anyone with eyes can see. Anyone with eyes can see that the wind has blown. And so what Jesus was saying um, in, our, in the message last Sunday, verses 1 to 10, what we covered, is that just like um, none of us can be born, can cause ourselves to be born, born, right? You can't cause yourself to be born again into this world physically. Just like that, Jesus is saying, so it is impossible for any of us who are dead in sin, me, you, Nicodemus, the whole world, it's impossible for any of us to cause ourselves to be born again spiritually, to have spiritual birth. It's impossible. It is a work of God. God must act. So why am I spending all this time <laughs> um, to say, to, that's what we covered last week, right? So why is that important for today? Well, Today, Jesus is going to show us the other side of the coin, okay? So, there are two sides to the coin. The, the coin of being a Christian, okay? The coin of being saved, there's two sides to the coin. On the one side, we know God must act. He must act. He initiates. He regenerates. We covered that last week. It's the Spirit who must regenerate your heart for you to be born again. That is the role of God. That's the one side of the coin. But then when you take that coin and you turn it around and you look at the other side, what do you find? That you and I are still responsible to believe. You and I have a responsibility to respond with faith, to respond with trust. That's what we're looking at this morning in the, in the passage that was just read. So with this context in mind, um, we come to the passage, and if you haven't already, please turn there. There are Bibles in front of you in the, in the pew if you need, or in the chairs. Um, they're going to come up on the screen too, the verses, but we're in John chapter 3, we're in verse 11, and I told you there were four reasons, right? Jesus is going to give you four reasons why you and I should believe in Him, and the first reason that we should believe in Jesus is because of His unique authority, okay? His unique authority. Uh, pick things up in verse 11. Jesus says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know 
and bear witness to what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. You don't receive it. Uh, if I have told you earthly things, verse, verse 12, if I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? This is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. And, and here's the key. Look at verse 13. Here's the key. For no one has ascended into heaven except, there's the key, except he who descended from heaven the Son of Man, the Son of Man. The first reason that you and I should believe in Jesus is because of His unique authority, His exclusive authority. And we see that in these three verses, right? Look at verse 11 again. Jesus knows things that you and I don't know. That's what it says, verse 11. He knows things that you don't know. Jesus has seen things that you and I have never seen, right? In verse 11, he's seen things. That never, in verse 12, he can speak of heavenly things that no one else in the universe can tell you. No one else can tell you. Do you know why? Why? Because in verse 13, he, he tells us, because he is the only one who has descended from heaven. The only one. Just think about that for a moment. He's the only one. How many world religions we have and what are they all trying to do? In essence, ascend to heaven, as it were, right? To ascend to heaven and to claim the truth, right? To claim to be true. That's what world religions are trying to do. But there is only one who brought heaven's truth down to us. This is why you should believe in Jesus, because we covered this before, John 1.18, earlier in our series, John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. Just let that sink in. No one has ever seen God but Jesus. The only God, that's referring to Jesus, who is at the Father's side, He has made God known to us. That's unique authority. That, that's unique, is it not? That is unique authority. There's no one else who can say that. This is not fabrication, right? This is not secondhand knowledge that Jesus is passing on to us or some hearsay that he's sharing with us. When Jesus testifies about God the Father or about himself or about the Holy Spirit or about the glories of heaven or the terrors of hell or the need for you and I to be reconciled while there is still time, when he speaks about all those things, you and I can fully trust what he says. Why? Because of his unique authority. Because of his exclusive authority as the one and only Son of Man who has come from heaven, who has come from God. Sadly, Nicodemus and the people of Israel didn't receive Jesus that way, did they? They didn't. They didn't accept his testimony. In fact, if you look at verse 12 again, uh, Andy, if you don't mind, Jesus tells us what happened. He actually comes down to Nicodemus' level. Do you notice that in verse 12? He, he, he is accommodating for Nicodemus' puny little mind, right? His capacities. And he's, and he's speaking of earthly things. And even then, this great teacher, this great teacher of the Jews is left baffled, right? That's what it says here in verse 12. It got me thinking, um, have you ever felt that way? 
Let's be honest. Everyone looks quite pious today, right? Maybe it's the mask. I don't know, but <laughs> have you ever felt that way? You're at home. You're reading the Bible. You're thinking, I don't get this. There are questions I can't answer here. This is tough. This is hard to understand. And, and maybe even you come to a point where you think, how can I believe in Jesus if I can't even know all of this? Right? If I can't answer all these questions. And that can be very discouraging. But can I encourage you for a moment that there are countless heavenly things within this book that you and I may never fully comprehend. May never. If comprehension, if full comprehension was required for you and I to believe, guess what? None of us would. None of us could, could believe in Jesus if that's what was required. But because of the unique authority of Jesus, because he is the only one who has come down from heaven, because of the heights from which he descended, he condescended, because of that unique authority, you and I have a reason to believe. We have reason to believe. So that's number one, authority, okay? Which brings us to number two. The second reason that you and I should believe in Jesus is this, because he died that you might live. He died that you might live. I want you to look at this in verse 14 and 15. Um, Jesus says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, what is Jesus talking about, right? Like, what is, he, what is this uh, serpent that he's referring to? Well, to answer that question, we need to go back to the book of Numbers. And if Numbers is not a book you go to frequently, um, and you can tell because if you try to go there right now, the pages are kind of stuck together, right? That means you haven't really opened that book a lot, right? I, I'm just saying because we have to be honest, right, as Christians. Sometimes the Old Testament is hard to read, hard to understand. That's okay. It's okay to be honest. But So I'm, I'm actually going to turn here and, 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 and um, risk showing you how stuck the pages are in my Bible. Let's go there. Numbers, we're in Numbers 21, okay? Numbers 21. This was a good idea in my mind, but now I'm thinking, should I have just... There it is. Okay. Numbers 21. Um, it's okay. You, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, if we take time to read and study the Old Testament, to see how it foreshadows and the types and, and the way it points to Jesus, I tell you the truth, your heart will burn. Like you will, you will see what a blessing it is. What a blessing it is that everything in the Old Testament is there for a reason. So in Numbers 21, here we are. God has rescued the people um, of, of Israel from slavery, okay? They, he's rescued them from Egypt, and now they're, they're marching towards the, the promised land. They're in the wilderness, and he's performed miracle after miracle after miracle, right? For the people, you know the story of Exodus and how, G, how God rescued them. And as they're going through, the, they're walking in the wilderness, what do we learn? They begin to what? To grumble. They begin to complain. They begin to speak against the very God who saved them. And you know how far they go? They even wish that they could go back to their bondage. That's what they wish they could go back to the chains of Egypt. It's heartbreaking um, ungratefulness. 
heartbreaking ungratefulness, and God in his just wrath, he punishes them, and what does he do? He sends poisonous snakes, and the snakes bit them with a deadly venom, okay? So I want you to picture this scene. So here are the people of Israel, and there's a bunch of snakes around, right? So this is a pretty scary scene. So you, if, as you can imagine, it wasn't too long before the people started to cry out, right? They're grumbling turned, right? We have a way worse problem now than the food, right? <laughs> and so they started, to, they started to cry out to Moses, and they're crying for mercy, and they're pleading for their lives. And in verse 8 of Numbers 21, God tells Moses to do something that is very, very strange. It's very strange. Look at this verse, verse 8. The Lord says to Moses, make a fiery serpent, okay, a bronze, a bronze serpent, and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when, they, when he sees it, shall live. Did you catch that? Okay, so, so, so no medicine, right? No antidote. God's not telling them, make sure you wash out the snake bite with lots of water, right? Irrigate the wound. That's what we would do, right? We would say, wash it out, make sure you get all the bacteria out, and this, 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 this poison is spreading from their wounds into their bloodstreams. They're basically dead men walking. They, they, there's nothing they can do to save themselves except to believe God and this very strange thing to look at this bronze serpent on a pole. And as odd and as strange as that event sounds, um, Jesus is telling Nicodemus in our passage that even that obscure event pointed to Christ. It pointed to Christ. Why? For just as the serpent was cursed in the Garden of Eden, so Jesus would become a curse for you and I. For you and I. Just as the poisonous bite brought death to the Israelites in the wilderness, so the wages of sin brings death. To us all. Just as Moses lifted that bronze serpent and, and put him on a put it on a pole, so Jesus would be lifted on a cross that we deserved. Just as the Israelites looked to that serpent and they lived, so too when 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 we look with faith to Jesus, we too shall live. Do you see? Do you see? I don't know if you noticed in, in, in verse 14, if you can bring that up again, um, uh, brother. In verse 14, I don't know if you noticed this, Jesus' death on the cross was not optional. Did you see that? Why do I say that in verse 14? Do you see what he says? What does he say? So must the Son of Man be lifted up. So must the Son of Man. What does that mean? That must. The cross was a must. It was the unalterable purpose ordained by God for Jesus to be lifted up and crucified and set on a pole. And why? Why did it have to happen that way? Because in verse 15 we learn that we may have eternal life. That's why. So that, so that you and I who believe may have life in the age to come. As the Israelites survived those, those serpent bites and they made it through the wilderness and they reached the promised land, 
so those of us who are saved from our sin will one day reach the promised rest. Right? The rest of heaven. The joy of heaven that awaits those who believe forever. Just imagine that. Do you know how Jesus defines eternal life? I wonder if it's the same as how we, you and I define eternal life. Okay, I want you to see this. John 17, 3. This is what Jesus says is eternal life, okay? That they know you, the only true God. That's eternal life. Is that how you think of eternal life? That's what eternal life is, church. Eternal life is knowing God. I think it's one of these gospel banners. It's about knowing God forever. That's what we have to look forward to. And so the second reason that you and I should believe in Jesus is because he died so that you and I may live, that you and I may know God forever. The third reason. The third reason that you and I should believe in Jesus is because God loves you. Because God loves you. We come to that verse that we so often take for granted, John 3.16, and what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, for Nicodemus... Okay, I want you to remember this conversation, right? For Nicodemus and for the Jews who are listening, what Jesus just said in verse 16 is actually astounding. It's astounding. Do you know why? Because for them, they knew that God loved them, right? Like, we know God loves us. We're his people. We're, like, God loves his chosen Israel, right? But, but what is Jesus saying? He's saying, no, 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 God loves the world, that, that means Gentiles, right? That means pagans. That means unclean sinners like you and me. Yes, this is how far the reach of God's love is. Dear friends, I love how one commentator put it. I just want to share this with you. He says, The offer of God's love is broad enough to include the worst sinner, but narrow enough to exclude all who reject Christ. Think about that. Can I say it again? The, the offer of God's love is broad enough to include the worst sinner. You may be sitting here and thinking, no one knows me, no one knows what I've done, where my thoughts are. I'm the worst possible sinner. If people knew who I was, they would kick me out of here. But Jesus says, no, no, no. This offer of love is wide enough to include even you, but it's also narrow enough to exclude the very best moral righteous person you know who, who has rejected Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? This is how Israel was supposed to bless all the families of the earth. This is how, through Jesus. Jesus offering life, right, without exception to whosoever believes, and that includes you and me. I want you to think about something for a moment. Just because just, just, this verse can, can kind of go past us because it's, we're so familiar with it. What was there in this world that God should love us? Just think about that for a moment. What is there in this world? To, you, you heard all the things that are going on all around us. What is there in this world that God should love us? The wickedness, right? 
the sin that we heap up day after day after day. Why should God love a worthless wretch like you, a worthless wretch like me? Do you know why? Do you know why? Because that's who he is. That's who he is. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. That's who he is. That's just, that's just, that's his nature. You know, I've only begun to understand this since I became a father myself, but, but to give your son, like his own son, his only dear son, to give him the son who had been with him by his side for all eternity past. Just think about that. Think about the magnitude that God's love must be for you, for him to do that. Think about how much God must love you and me in order for him to give up his son. What I'm saying is the next time you're at home or you're sitting by yourself somewhere and you feel unloved, right? That happens. You feel your heart is broken or you're full of doubt. You're doubting, does God really love me? When you feel that way, oh soul, would you remember what God has given for you? What he has given, because Jesus, this is how much God loves you. If you want to put a price on how much God loves you, it's Jesus. That's who it is. And so the third reason that we should believe in Jesus is because this is how much God loves us. This is how much God loves us. Number four. The fourth reason that you and I should believe in Jesus is, is so that we can be free uh, from condemnation. Free from condemnation. Look at verses 17 um, and 18 as they come up. For God, Jesus says to Nicodemus, for God did not send me into the world to condemn the world. It wasn't to condemn the world that Jesus came, but in order that the world might be saved. That we might be saved Verse 18, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, here's the, here's the other side of it, is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Do you know what it means to be condemned? Like the idea of being condemned? Being condemned means that you have been judged guilty. Okay? Like the verdict is done. It's set. And you're basically just waiting for your punishment, right? You're waiting for the punishment that you deserve. That's what it means to walk around as a person who is condemned. And I have to be honest with you, and maybe this is how you feel too. Usually when I think about being condemned, I think about someone breaking the law. Do you guys think that way too? Right? Like how do you get condemned? By breaking the law, right? And when it comes to God, like by breaking his rules, right? By breaking his commandments. That's how we become condemned. But what does Jesus tell us in this text? Verse 18. What is the reason humanity is condemned? Is it because of something we have done? Something we have, we have broken his, his... No, what does he say? What is the thing that has condemned us already? Unbelief. Do you see that? It's not even about the laws that you've broken. It's about unbelief. In fact, church, I'm here to say that um, unbelief is the great damning sin. 
That's the, that's, that's the head of all sins, unbelief. Why do I say that? Because when you don't believe in Jesus, what you are essentially doing, you are abandoning the only solution God has provided for your sin. That's what you're doing. I I want you to realize, when we don't believe in Jesus, what we're saying to God is, I see your solution and I'm rejecting it. I'm going to stay in my sin. I'm going to stay in my guilt. But here's the hope that comes in verse 17. Jesus tells us, God didn't send him into the world to condemn. Jesus hasn't come to the world to condemn, but to save. For those who believe in him, we can be saved from condemnation. We can be free from condemnation. Um, I, di- I didn't put these verses in the, in, the, in the slides, but there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, verse 1. There's no con- If you're in Christ Jesus, there is nothing that can condemn you. No one can rise in a court and condemn you because you are in Christ Jesus and He has forgiven your sins. And even when your weak and fickle and forgetful heart um, uh, tries to condemn you, if you're a Christian, guess what? God is greater than your heart. 1 John 3.20 God is, and He knows everything. He knows what He has done for you. He knows that you are forgiven in Christ, even when you forget. Isn't that precious, church? And so Jesus is given us, has given us four reasons why we should believe in Him. Because of His unique authority. Because He died that you might live. Because God loves you. And because you can be free from all condemnation. Now that's a strong case, right? That's a strong case for you and I to believe. And yet, (laughs) um, if we're honest, some of you are seated here or watching from home and you're going to say to me, I still don't believe, right? Right? It's true. Some, Some will be here and think, I hear the case. I don't, really, I don't believe in Jesus based on, based on what you've said. And, and you know, um, I have to share this with you. Um, in my years of youth ministry, I can tell you that um, there are many nights I would come up to, you know, wherever we were and, and make this case, right, to a room of unbelieving teens, <laughs> mostly. I would make this case, right, the case for you to believe. You should believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. And, you know, teens, teens and and, and I guess, tween, uh, what are they called? Um, you know what I mean. Right? These, these youth, they're smart. We should never underestimate our youth because they have questions that are important, questions that are hard to answer. I remember after youth, many times people would come up and say, but what about this and what about this and what about creation and, and the flood and, and how, how do I reconcile science and all these miracles you're talking about? And, and, and what about these difficult passages in the Bible? And I remember after youth, I would have this great burden inside me. When they would ask me these questions, I would think to myself, I better go home and, and study this and research this and come back and give them some sort of biblical answer, right? Because this is what's stopping them from coming to Jesus. They have these questions. I even remember one night, um, uh, a, a dear friend, um, 
and, I, and, I, and, and he had believed, and then he had kind of, kind of abandoned his faith because he had so many questions, and I thought to myself, and I had been working with him before, and I thought to myself, and I asked God, God, why? Why? What did I do wrong? Could I have said something different? Could I have, like, should I have done something differently, maybe? Is that why? Why, why doesn't he believe? It's very discouraging, isn't it? Have you been there? I'm sure. Many of you are nodding. You, you, you've been there. Um, but you know what I've found? Time and time again, despite having their questions um, answered, many people continue not to believe. And Jesus ends the conversation with Nicodemus by, by cutting through the masks, the false pretenses, the excuses. He cuts through everything and he reveals the true reason people do not believe in him. Okay? The real, at the heart of someone's unbelief, this is what, this is what we find. Look at this verse, verse from verse 19. This is the judgment Jesus says. He says, The light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness. That's the situation. That's what we're in. People loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Verse 20, for everyone who hates the light does not come to the light. They don't come. Why not? Why don't they come? Lest their works should be exposed. Um, one theologian summarized this beautifully. He says, Christ is hated because... Sin is loved. That's why. Don't get it twisted. D don't be deceived. They have lots of questions. They have lots of things, other, other issues. But really at the heart of, the, of unbelief, Christ is hated because sin is loved. That's why. That's why. So what we're learning and what Jesus is telling us is that those who refuse to believe, even maybe some of you here who have shut your eyes, right? You've shut your eyes to the light of Christ coming in. They don't need more apologetics. They don't need more answers to their questions. They don't, that's not what they need. They don't do this because they need those things. Why do you do it? Why don't you believe? Because you know who you really are. You love the darkness. That's why. That's why. Why do you love the darkness? Why? Because in the darkness, you can pretend that everything is okay. That's why. That's why. Right? When there's no light on, there's no light, you can pretend that this is fine. My life, I'm, I'm a good person. This is fine. I'm okay. Even when your conscience pricks you, you, you no, I'm okay. Because you know, you know that the moment the light shines on your life, the true misery of your sin will be exposed. The true misery that you're trying to hide and, and, and cover up with, 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 with Facebook or with other things, relationships and your job and, your, and money and all the, that, that true misery that is inside of you will be exposed. And your guilt, your condemnation, inescapable. So, dear friends, this is not how your story needs to end. 
This is what I'm here to say. This is not how your story needs to end. And in verse 21, as Jesus closes the conversation, he says in verse 21, whoever does what is true comes to the light. Comes to the light. That it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Come to the light. Which means what? Come to Jesus. Believe in him. Because when you do, and, and, I, and I can say this of, of those of you who are saved, when you do that, it is clear to the world, it is clear to everyone that you know that the true good in your life is all because of God. That's what verse 21 means. The true good in your life is all because of God. That's what we can say of those who are truly saved, those who have been born again, those who believe. As we close here... Um, we're going to see later in this series, in John's gospel, that something changed in Nicodemus. Something changed. After this conversation, something changed, and, and all his knowledge, he was a teacher of Israel, right? All that knowledge was of so little value until he believed. He believed. So as the worship team comes... Um, this is my prayer, church family. This is, this is my prayer, I told you from the beginning, that you would believe. That you wouldn't just know. I know you know John 3.16 and you can write it out, right? But do you believe it? Do you really understand and believe the love that God has for you? Have you looked to Christ on that, on that cross and, 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 and lived? Look to Christ and live. If you can stand as we um, close with a beautiful, a beautiful song, How Deep the Father's Love. I think it's only appropriate that I end with this, with this verse. The verse that, that so often we take for granted. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that is what is available to each one of us this morning. Let's pray. Father, yes, help us to believe. Help us to believe. Reason upon reason upon reason, oh God. We don't need more reasons, Father. We need to stop loving our sin so we can believe in you, so we can love you. Oh, Lord, would you open eyes this morning, open hearts this morning. We know it's a two-sided coin that before any of us can believe that you must intervene, we pray that you would do your work this morning in our hearts, in every heart. In Jesus' name we pray.